All right, it's good. Uh, it's good to be with those of us who are able to be here. Um, how many of you uh, have been able to get the vaccine? Just curious. Little survey. Lots, lots of you. Good, great. We're making progress. Let's pray again, uh, and then we'll uh, get into our uh, message. God help us this morning uh, to be attentive uh, to you. Uh, there's much on our minds, much to think about, some worries, some stress, some anxiety for many of us uh, here in the sanctuary, uh, at home, and in various places. Uh, we ask that you would uh, relieve us of that, help us to lean on you and lean into you, to draw us into yourself uh, through your word, through your truth, through your grace. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart if my words stray or deviate or are inconsistent in any way with your word, may they be quickly forgotten, passed over. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to do two things with us, with our time together in this time. First, I want to show you a picture, and then I want to paint for you a picture. I want to show you a picture, I'm going to show you a picture, and then I'm going to hopefully paint for you a picture. The first is uh, the photo. This is the Lockhart Lions. I am in the fourth grade. Uh, I don't remember a lot about that season. It was kind of a hard year for me. Uh, I do remember being at practice and the hard practices. I remember piling into the back of a really big and really long station wagon. Do you remember those? No seatbelts in the back throw the kids in, pile them in, no worries about safety. I remember uh, traveling in uh, that big station wagon to our out-of-town games about 30 minutes away to the big city from our little farming town. I remember going to McDonald's, which was an amazing treat for me coming from a little town after those games in the big city. And I remember Coach Steve upper right-hand corner. I remember being loved, cared for, being paid attention to by Coach Steve. And now I want to paint a picture for you this morning, a picture that spans the entire Bible, but in order to do that, we're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to work really hard this morning to pay attention, to stay focused, to stay engaged as we read through the entire Bible right here during our time. No, not really, but I'm going to read through a number of passages starting early in Genesis and going till late in the scriptures. Uh, you are going to have to do a little bit more work than usual maybe to stay engaged, but you can do that. Let's go. Here we go. Starting in Genesis chapter 9, verse 8, and going forward, this is the word of God. There it is up on the screen. Yes, it is. Then God said to Noah and to his sons, Noah's sons, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That is Noah. Now fast forward to the all-important chapter 17 
of the book of Genesis. Verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And now chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, several books later, beginning at uh, verse 4 through, through verse 9, best known, maybe the best known passage of Scripture in all of the Old Testament to Jewish people, faithful Jews since Jesus' time and before until today still recite these words when they get up in the morning and when they go to bed in the evening, known as the Shema, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In the Old Testament book that we know as 1 Kings, we read about one of the greatest, maybe the greatest prophets up till that time, a man named Elijah, and about his relationship with another person younger than him named Elisha, and how in chapter 19, Elijah places his cloak over Elisha, and in that way symbolically places on Elisha the mantle of his prophetic ministry that would pass from him, the older Elijah, to Elisha, the younger man. And for the next six or so years, Elijah doesn't just give him his cloak, but mentors him, tutors him, walks with him, teaches him, pours into Elisha. Psalm 78 begins like this. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. And then the voice shifts as it often does in the prophecies of the Old Testament and in the Psalms from God speaking to the people of Israel speaking in verse 4. We will not hide them. All of these great things that you have done, that you have told us about, that we have come to be aware of. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. We will not hide these things. We will tell the next generation. The book of Joel and his prophetic message begins like this. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell these things to your children. And let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. Pass it on. 
for three years, Jesus. And you remember from the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the Son of God. For three years, Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, lived in human flesh. And at the beginning of that time, as we saw in Mark's gospel, Jesus called to himself disciples, come, follow me, come, follow me, you, follow me. And Jesus, over the three years that the gospels tell us about, yes, Jesus preached and Jesus taught and Jesus healed and Jesus cast out demons and Jesus walked on water and Jesus turned multiplied fish and multiplied bread. But arguably the most important thing that Jesus did during that three years was not something that could have been done in a flash, but rather he spent three years pouring into the lives of these young men that we know as his disciples, teaching them, sharing with them, sharing, showing them, revealing to them, rebuking them, encouraging them, for three years in public and in private, in small groups and in large groups, in a variety of different ways, he poured into these people's lives. Now turn with me to one of the most important passages of Scripture in the New Testament. It's a song or a hymn in Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi in chapter 2, Philippians 2. Paul may have been the author of this hymn, we do not know, but we do know that it seems to function as a statement of faith or a baptismal statement, not just for Paul and not just in Philippians, but two and for the early church, the first century church. And it goes like this, Paul writes, Philippians 2, verse 5. In your relationships with one another, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Think this way, be this way. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it goes on, and therefore God exalted him and made his name greater than every name so that people from every nation and tribe would bow before him. And the Greek verb translated, this is your Greek verb for the day. Your Greek verb translated empty in verse 7 is kanao, which some scholars also translate here, poured himself out. Jesus poured himself out. putting himself totally at the disposal of other people and of the world, becoming so poor that others might become rich. Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, pours, empties himself out. Let that sink in. And now finally fast forward to what many scholars believe was the last thing, the last letter, at least the last letter that we have that the Apostle Paul wrote to the last chapter of that last letter. We know the book as Second Timothy, written to Paul's beloved son in the faith, Timothy. 
For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come, Paul writes. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but all, also to all who have loved is appearing. The apostle Paul wrote to his beloved son in the faith, of whom he had many, but Timothy may have been the dearest to him. Timothy, into whom he had poured and poured and poured for years and years and years on the road, traveling in hardship and good times and hard times. For I am already being poured out, Paul wrote. God has intended since the days of Noah and the days of Abraham and the covenants that God made with each of them to not only bless them, but also to bless their offspring. Their biological offspring, their adopted offspring, their spiritual offspring, their covenantal offspring, their beloved offspring, their not even yet known offspring. Their descendants, the generations. This has been the model. This is the plan. It was the plan in the scriptures. It still is the plan today. It will still be God's plan tomorrow. God has promised blessing. And God has promised himself. And God has given us himself in Jesus. Through Moses, God instructed his people to teach these things to their children, to the children in their homes, to the children in their communities. In the Psalms, the people of God declare, we will not hide these things from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. And God's word through the prophet Joel Tell this to the next generation. Do not let them grow up unaware. And God himself in Christ didn't only pour out his life and himself, but he also poured into very specifically others. And Jesus called, and Jesus called, calls his apprentices to do the same. He calls you and me to do the same. He calls the church to do the same. And this is us. This church was founded. It has its roots in the spring of 1941, 80 years ago, in a couple of months, with an outreach specifically to children in this community, in this same place, when none of us were here. A community and an outreach, which became a Sunday school, which became a congregation, which became a church for the community. And this has always been a church, always in its history, that has been filled with children. This is a fun photo pulled from the archives. And it really, really, really does look different than our world. No no social distancing there. But children being poured into every generation, not skipping a generation, not skipping a year, not skipping a child. Pouring into the next generation has always been a priority around here, a commitment, 
and of value. 20-something years ago, 22, 23, maybe 24 years ago, when the local elementary schools ran into a funding crisis and programs for the arts and music had to be ended, this church picked up the ball and ran with it and founded Kingdom Club, where children in the community could be exposed to, given to, chances to do arts and crafts and music and drama and games and hear the Word of God and hear about God's love for them. And that has continued to this day, 20-something years that the descendants, that the next generation, that the children might hear. And this has been a part of, an integral part of our DNA in sync with, this, with the scriptures and to such we are called. And our aim has not been to produce well-adjusted children who become well-adjusted youth, who become well-adjusted adults, though that's nice. But rather, our hope and our prayer is that through the grace of God conveyed through us, the next generation might be filled with the love of God, with a knowledge of the love of God in Jesus, and consumed by that love. And having been filled with God's Spirit, become ambassadors themselves of God's blessings to and for the world to become salt and to become seasoning and to become light and to be a blessing, to bring about God's kingdom, to bless others and the next group of kids and the next generation and the next. And so let us, in our prayers, not just in here on Sunday morning through the voice of one, but let our prayers echo this story. Let us pray for the next generations, for the children, for the toddlers, for the middle school kids. You know how hard those years are. For high school kids, for young adults. And let us be parents, nuclear family parents, spiritual family parents who love on, teach, bless, and encourage our children in Jesus' name. Let us do that mindfully, carefully, prayerfully. And may we be a church that also does the same. May we continue to be that church. Let us continue to invest generously in ministries to our own children and to children in the community. May our financial portfolio be over-invested or over-weighted, heavily weighted in these areas. And let us continue to support generously with our time, energy, and resources children in the foster care system, families hosting foster care kids, youth in the juvenile justice system, supporting those who support those and who pour into them however we can. I'm encouraged that we always have enough hands that go up when the call goes out for mentors for confirmation class. There are always enough hands that go up. I'm encouraged by the women who attended a live stream conference for our high school girls with our high school kids last weekend, a remote live stream conference. Are you mentoring a member of the next generation? Are you supporting such a ministry? 
do you know, are you in a relationship right now with a young adult? Have you personally sought to bless a young person in the name of Jesus this past week? Have you prayed for a child or a youth this week? Many of you have. Many of you do every week. But some will object, and I've heard it, and I'm kind of hearing it now. What about senior adults? Don't forget about senior adults. Senior adults count too. All people count. All people are important. And this is true. And this is why the first of our values is love all people unconditionally. Love all people unconditionally. And so senior adults will always be valued here. They will always be appreciated. They will always be respected. They will always be cared for. They will never, ever, ever be forgotten. They will always be held in high regard. They will always be given the best seats at the table. Rightfully so. They have gone before us. And this is not a zero-sum game. We can pour into the next generation without neglecting the middle-aged white males among us, without neglecting senior adults, without neglecting this demographic or this group of people. We can do this. Consider this. Nearly half of all Americans who claim Jesus as their Savior and Lord came to faith before the age of 13. Two out of three born-again Christians made that same commitment before the age of 18. If we extend that out to the age of 21, nearly 80% of Christians in the United States came to faith, came to know the Lord, received salvation before the age of 21. If we extend that out to age 30, 90% of people who are Christians today became Christians before the age of 30 in the United States. This is just how things have been. This is how things are. This is when people come to faith in their lives. So pour into the next generation intentionally. The next generation cannot afford us, the church, to check out and simply leave them with their smartphones and social media. They cannot afford that. We would be delinquent if we did. And the church, in other words, the body of Christ, would miss out. The church, which is always just one generation away from disappearing. And think about this. No church has ever died. No church has ever ceased to exist. No church has ever closed its doors because it had too many kids. Because there were too many youth. Because there were too many children. Because there were too many young adults running around, breaking things and tearing things up. The children are our future. The children are the church's future. The children are the world's future. The children are our world's future. And they need Christ because they need Christ, but they also need Christ because the world needs Christ. Every one of us has had someone who, when we were young, when we were children, when we were youth, who invested in us, who poured into our lives. In third grade, my parents got divorced. Didn't see my dad a whole lot after that. Some, not a lot, not as much as before. Third grade. And in fourth grade, 
there was Coach Steve. And that was just football. That was a big part of my life maybe at that point. But that was still just football. There was also mom pouring into my life and that of my brother and sister. And there was this whole line of Sunday school teachers. I don't really remember much about any of my school teachers, though I was with them five days a week. And only with my Sunday school teachers for an hour or so a week. But I can remember them with crystal clarity. Not all of them, not all of the ones who tolerated me, tolerated me, put up with me. But I remember Judge Peoples in fifth grade. I remember Judge Blair Reeves in a wheelchair in middle school. I remember Dr. Olick. I remember Dr. Park. I remember these men and women who poured into my life during those critical and pivotal years. There was a youth pastor who came to our home and who visited and who listened and who cared and who played. In college, when most people walk away from the faith, when the largest number of people walk away from the church and from Christ, starting in my very first semester of college, there was this string of men older than me who intentionally poured into my life in priceless ways. My first semester, Wendell Weaver and others. My second semester, Glenn McClay and others. My third semester, John Hopper and others. Later on, toward the end of college, Dale Youngs. And then John Farmer and then others when I was a young adult, continually blessed by older people and older people in the faith, willing, ready, and eager to pour into a young person's life. Most of us, with gratitude, have had such people in our lives. By God's grace, may we all. Into whose life are you pouring today, right now? The children of our church and the children of our community are a mission field. We hear Gladys and others talk about India and the mission field that is, and that seems so far off, so far away, so unreachable, so inaccessible to many of us. The children of our church and our community are a mission field. Every generation is a new mission field opening up, accessible to us in ways that other mission fields are not. Are we pouring our hearts, experiences, lives, and resources into that field? Could we become the sort of congregation that is not so interested in how we, we want to do church and what our needs might be, but instead are continually pouring out and pouring into younger people of all sorts in all places and in all ways, as the Apostle Paul did, as Jesus did, intently, our Lenten offering project is a really, really easy way to do this. 
Though on the complete opposite side of the world from us, we have the opportunity today and during the six weeks leading up to Easter to invest significantly in children who one day may be the next generation of Christians in India, the next generation of church planters in India, the next generation of evangelists in India. We have this opportunity today. And these things don't just happen on their own. Water doesn't flow uphill. Towers are not built randomly. Great art doesn't happen when paints are accidentally spilled on a campus. And pouring into another person's life doesn't happen accidentally or passively. Rather, pouring out one's life and pouring Christ, faith, leadership, discipleship, love, mercy, encouragement, knowledge, wisdom, kindness, tenderness into another person's life happens when one is intentional about such things, when one is intentional about such things, when one decides and commits to such pouring. And every one of us can do this. Every one of us can do this. Everyone who has God's spirit has the ability to pour God's spirit into other people if and as we intend to. If a person aims at nothing, they will hit it every time. I think Zig Ziglar first said that. But if we truly intend to pour into the lives of the next generation, we will certainly, by God's grace, be able to do so, and they will be blessed. They will be blessed. And we will be blessed. Following the Lord Jesus, we strive to pour into the next generation intentionally. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for the ways that you have poured into each of our lives through not just your spirit and not just your word, but also through your ambassadors, also through those filled with your spirit, also by and through those who have gone before us. Those of us who are older, those of us who are farther along in the journey with Jesus, we are grateful for the men and the women who have poured into each of our lives and for the ways that our lives bear witness to such. Help us to be those people for the next generation, for today's children with all the pressures they live under, for the youth of today who are connected and disconnected, for young men and women as they leave high school, as they leave the nest, as they launch out on their own. Put us in places where we might be used. Help us to be available. Open doors for us. Bring about your kingdom. We pray with gratitude and hopeful expectation and joy. Amen.